So good to be with you this morning. We're in the middle of this, this series, aren't we, of, of discipleship, and um, my subject for this morning is a great one, knowing our identity. And uh, I was very excited when, when Carl asked me to, to talk on this subject. It's very close to my heart. Um, I wasn't actually here in church last Sunday, so I listened to Carl's sermon on rest online, which I think was probably quite a good thing because I could repent in silence on my own and not in public. Um, I think it was very challenging for us to look at, at this subject of rest. And he made a statement in the course of the sermon. He said this, it's in rest that we find true identity. And I think that's so true. And I think also we could say it the other way around. It's in true identity that we find rest. So why is it so hard to rest? Why is it so hard for us to rest? I think it does have something to do with the fact that our sense of identity is invested in what we do. It was interesting as I was preparing, I found myself thinking of a, a young lady in her 20s that I met in Chile when I was there in January, February. She was, is Argentinian and she was part of the group that I was working with whilst I was there. And every morning I used to lead that group in a time of contemplative prayer. So we would have some sort of exercise, mostly just about 10 minutes of, of sitting in silence, in silent prayer. Not the prayer of words, but the prayer of letting go our words and, and sitting just in silence. And so we do that and then we talk about how, how was it, what was that like for you. And, and this young girl, after the first time we'd done it, the first time we sat for 10 minutes silently, uh, I, I asked her, Mika, how, how was that for you? And uh, she caught her breath and she said, I'm, I, know, I know I'm going to cry. Because in that silence, I realized that nothing was being asked of me. Nothing was being asked of me. I could just be. I could just allow myself to be. And it moved her to tears. And she said, you know, you didn't ask me to, to tell you what God had told me. You didn't ask me to tell you what God wanted me to do. I just had permission to be. And in that space, tears came. And I wonder how many of us know that freedom. Just the freedom to be, that my simple existence in this world is enough. I, I think we saw a glimpse of it in the words from that psalm that we read at the beginning. Beautiful words of, of God's great heart towards us and, and that, that just our being, who we are for him is enough. And you might want to take that psalm and, and sit and meditate with it. With it. There's, there's wonderful truths there for us. I want to particularly focus on the words from Romans 8, the passage from Romans 8, in the course of, of the rest of what I say. Um, I think they're very precious verses. And they speak deeply to our sense of identity. 
And so I'm going to, to look at them. But before I do that, I want to lay a bit of a foundation that I think will help us relate to those words. And I've got some little diagrams. <laughs> diagrams are good, aren't they? I think it's, it's helpful to have visuals. So I want, um, I want us to look at these three diagrams. Someone has said, if we don't have a biblical understanding of who we are, we'll have a distorted understanding of who we are. So we really need to have settled in our, in our understanding a sense, a, a right biblical sense of our identity. So you've got that, that verse up there from 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, May God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, soul and body be preserved complete. So, a biblical sense of who we are is that we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And we're depicting it, <laughs> waiting for the rest to come. You can click them all on, thank you. There we go. We're body, soul, spirit. We're depicting it as three circles. I know that's a vast simplification. I know we're not three circles in reality, but it's helpful to see it, okay? So we're body. That's the most obvious, isn't it? You look at me and you recognize me because I have a physical embodiment and you know that's Liz when you see me and that's true for each one of us and it's unique and the more science understands about our bodies the more that uniqueness is is unfolding so you know our eyes are unique our fingerprints are unique our DNA is unique there is no one who has ever been or whoever will be like me and like you, there's a uniqueness there. And, this, and then we have our soul. Soul in the Greek is that word suki from which we get psychology. So soul in a way is about our personality. And it, it's made up of mind and emotions and will. And it's kind of like the process center of our of who we are. So we are constantly processing our lives through our mind, what we understand, through our emotions, what we feel, with our will, what we're choosing, what we're deciding. All of that's going on all of the time. It's going on as you're sitting there listening to me now, isn't it? So we're living there in, in that reality of our soul. And all of these different layers, if you like, carry identity. I carry a physical identity. I carry an identity in my, in my soul. There is no one who can be to God who I am. There's no one who can be to God who you are. That's why you're so precious. And those, those different layers carry identity. But we are also spirits. We're body, soul, spirit. And I think it says there, it, it's really, it's spirit that determines our identity. Which is why it's so important that we understand that there, in our makeup, we are spirit. Spirit's the place of, of deepest identity. Why do I say that? Well, you know, we're made in the image of God, and God is spirit. I'm not made in the image of God in my body. I don't look like God, do I? <laughs> And it's not my personality where I bear the image of God, it's in my spirit. I carry, I bear the image of God in my spirit. And there's that wonderful verse that we read in Romans 8, verse 16. The spirit himself, i.e. God's spirit, with a capital S, 
testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's about identity, isn't it? And it's God's spirit who testifies with our spirit that we're his children. You see, I am more than my emotions. I am more than my mind. I'm more than the thoughts that I have about myself. I'm more than my body. My identity most deeply lies in my spirit. And the reason that's so important is that if I don't see my fundamental self as first and foremost spirit, then I will be left trying to find my identity in body and soul. And that's never going to be enough. It will never be enough. That's why there's no rest until we understand our true spiritual identity. There'll always be something more I have to do, some, more, some, more, some better way I have to improve who I am in my soul and body if that's where my sense of self is invested. Does that make sense? <laughs> I am going to be looking to those two areas to tell me who I am until I understand that they're at the core of my being, in my spirit, that's the place that determines who I am. And you see, we, we all have stories of how we've looked to body and soul to tell us who we are. How we've developed identity based in those two things. By what I do, by how well I do it, by what others think of how I do it. I, I'm more than what I do. I'm more than my gifts. I'm more than my abilities. As important as those things are, God's given me those. But I'm more than the sum of those. My identity lies in my spirit. And until I know that, I'm going to try and base it in how I feel on any given day or how I'm doing, how much I'm doing, how little I'm doing, what I'm not doing. <laughs> so, so that's the first slide. And the main point is, if you get nothing else <laughs> from, from what I'm going to say, is, is that our, it's our spirit that determines our identity. So the next slide... See, there's, there's two things we need, to, we need to understand. We need to understand what happened to us in the fall, and we need to understand what Jesus did for us in the cross. So this is what happened to us in the fall. And you can see there's God, a triangle, I guess that's Trinitarian in some way, and, and God is outside of us, and we're separated from God because of our sins. We, we know that, don't we? It's what happened in, in, in the fall. There came that great separation. But that's not the only issue that's going on here. What also happened in the fall, do you remember God said to Adam and Eve, on the, on the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And, and that's what happened. They lost their life in God. They didn't die physically, because Adam and Eve went on living for another... I don't know, 100 and how many years? There wasn't, it's not primarily about physical death. It, it was about a spiritual death. A spiritual death occurred there in the garden. And we come into the world 
with this inheritance. We come into the world here, separated from God, from our sins, and dead spiritually. Ephesians 2 says, you're dead in your sins and transgressions. So those are our two problems. And we somehow have to make our life work without life and separated from God. So we set about to do it. Because it's, it's like, in the moment that that separation happened, a great big void opened up inside of Adam and Eve. You see, they lost in that moment all that they once knew from God. You can imagine, if we use our imaginations a little bit, you know, what must it have been like for them to walk in the garden and to look into the eyes of God and to know that they were loved. <laughs> to know that they had worth because of who they were, not because of what they did. <laughs> there can't have been a doubt, a shadow of doubt in their minds, can there? They must have known that they knew that they knew that they knew that they were loved and that they had worth. And in the moment of the fall, they lost that. They lost that knowing and they went hiding. And this is all of our stories. We, we don't, it's like we come into the world with a big question mark that says, who am I? Who am I? And am I worth anything? Do I matter? Am I lovable? And we have to go about finding the answer for that. And if you see on this diagram, there's an F. You might have been sitting there wondering what the heck's the F. F stands for flesh. You see, without God, my, human beings, we have, to, we have to make our life work. And we use the resources of our body and our soul, who we are, you know, our mental ability, what we look like. We use that to give ourselves the answer to those questions. We begin to, to develop a way of doing that. And that's what the Bible calls flesh. We all have flesh. Um, Paul in, in Philippians 3, he tells us his story of his flesh. He says, if anyone has confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he tells us all the things that he did to answer the question mark, to make himself okay. You know, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin. As to the law, righteous. He got everything right. His whole sense of self was invested into those things. That's where he put his confidence. And we've all learnt, we've all got a story of where we have each learnt to put our confidence and the things we've learnt to trust in to answer the question mark, to make us feel okay. For me, it was probably primarily about getting people's approval about finding my acceptance in the eyes of another, about doing the things that I learned to do to get, my, to get approval, to make me feel loved. You could call that people-pleasing, or you could call it idolatry. <laughs> it, it's really about using someone to make me feel okay, orienting my sense of self into other people. For other people, it, it's about always getting everything right. <laughs> For others, it's about addictions, those things I have to have to make me feel okay. That's, that's our flesh. That's how we learn to make life work without Jesus Christ in our lives. With me? Yeah. So we all have flesh, and that's what we need to understand about 
the result of the fall. So then the next slide is going to show us what happened to us because of the cross. This is God's answer, so yeah, there we go. Oh, there's, a, there's a mistake in the diagram, I thought I'd corrected it. Um, can you just imagine that that spirit is kind of yellow and not grey? <laughs> you see... Wait a minute, that's not... Oh, can you start clicking? Can you go through it? I think it's going to reveal as we... There we go, thank you. That's what I wanted. Okay. So you see, what Jesus did on the cross for us and in us, there's two aspects. It's not just that God did something for us on the cross. He did something in us. So it addresses both of those issues we've just talked about. The fact that we were separated from God through our sins is dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood that we might know forgiveness. And that's a wonderful thing and we celebrate it every morning, every Sunday. The forgiveness of sins that we have. But that's not all. We also received the very life of Christ into our spirits. Jesus said, didn't he, I have come that you might have life. Who, who needs life? A dead person. A dead person needs life. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. And Jesus came that you might have life. And life in all of its fullness. So we, in our spirits, we receive the life of Christ. There's two words in, in the Greek for life. One is bios from which we get biography, and it's about the physical details of our life. We all have bios when we come into the world, but we don't have Zoe. And when Jesus, those verses in John 10.10, 10, come that you might have life, it's about, it's about Zoe, the very life of God that we have. And so when we, in the moment that we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, we're forgiven and we receive his life. And in that moment, the, the old is gone. See, that old, darkened, Adamic spirit, dead spirit, that gets crucified with Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. I, I am now, and we all are here, if we know Jesus Christ, we're new creations. Christ didn't just die for me. I died with Christ. I was crucified with him. My old nature was nailed to the cross with him and I was raised with him to new life and where is that life it's not in my body because I will one day die still it's not in my soul because I can still have good days and bad days and I can still blow it and get and lose my temper and you can't you won't see it in my behavior all the time I hope sometimes you do <laughs> but not necessarily every day I can't look to my behavior to know that I have life we have to look to the place of our spirit which why again we come back to the fact that it, knowing true identity is what gives us rest that's where we received Christ as life but notice what's still there can you see it? The flesh is still there. I can still choose, even though I have this new source of life, I can still choose to walk by the flesh. I can still choose to trust in what served me when I didn't have Christ as my life. Because it's familiar. 
I can still choose to trust in those things that once were all I had to make life work. I can still choose to invest my identity in the things of body and soul and achievements and people's opinions. I can still, I can still walk that way. We as Christians, we can walk by the spirit or we can walk by the flesh. I can still choose to trust my own resources to answer the identity question of who am I by looking to my, my looks, my personality, all those things we've talked about, my achievements. And there's nothing wrong with those things. It's just they're not enough. They can't be enough to base your identity on. God never designed them to be enough. We have to know there's something beyond them. So on a good day, all of those things can work quite well for us. On a good day, when I get everything right and I tick off everything on my to-do list, I, I can feel okay about me. Chances are, there'll still be something that's not quite enough. There'll still be something where I'm still needing to try harder and up my game. But on a good day, they can work pretty well. On a bad day, well, you know what a bad day looks like. They don't work. On a bad day when I don't act up to the way that I think I should be as a good Christian. All of those question marks will haunt me. Am I good enough? Am I loved? Am I acceptable? If that's where I'm looking for the answer. And it's interesting, isn't it? To, to, the thing about our lives is that we, we come into the world with a kind of inbuilt obsolescence, if you like. You know what it's called? It's called old age. Old age. All, all of those things that we've put our trust in, our confidence in, will one day begin to fail us. And we have to know that there's more, that, that we are more than that if we're going to navigate midlife and onwards. I know old age for some of us <laughs> will feel a long way away, but learn it now. Learn it now that your identity is never going to rest in the things you can do or not do, or in your personality, or, or even your behaviour. It's, it's based in a deeper place. Our true identity lies in our spirits. And this is where Christ, Christ is in me, and I am in Christ. It's where all those verses that we read in Scripture, amazing truths about who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me, that's where that happens. And again, Romans 8.16, the Spirit of God testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Notice, he doesn't testify in my emotions. I cannot look to my emotions to determine who I am. He, he doesn't, the Spirit of God doesn't testify to me in my, in my mind. It's not a mind thing, primarily. It's a spirit thing. Knowing, script, knowing biblical truth is first and foremost always a spiritual thing. It's an impartation of the Holy Spirit by revelation to our spirits that we know, that we know, that we know. That's why peace goes beyond understanding. <laughs> the peace and the rest that we have, it's beyond understanding. 
it's, it's a spiritual reality for us. And it's there that God bestows the gift of our okayness, that I'm profoundly okay in him. So I don't have to go looking for it, trying to, work, trying to invent it and work it up for myself through what I do. Biblically speaking, the, the um, scriptural term for the gift of okayness is righteousness. God gives us his righteousness, doesn't, doesn't he? We've received the gift of righteousness, Romans 5.17, and many other verses that talk about the gift of righteousness that we've been given. That's a very religious term. I like to think of it as the gift of my all-rightness. I, it's gift. I don't have to earn it or achieve it. It's mine. It's the gift of my all rightness and my okayness. There at the very core of who I am. And therefore the gospel's good news. It's not just that your sins are forgiven and you now need to try very hard to live a good Christian life by the help of the Holy Spirit. It's that you have received a brand new identity. So I want now to look at those knowing this Knowing these things, let's just have a look in the time that remains at those verses from Romans 8, 12 to 17. Can you put them back on the screen again? I didn't say I was going to do that, but is that possible? Wonderful. Thank you. And there you see we have it. Brothers and sisters, we're debtors not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh with our identity and our trust invested in the things we can do and our personalities and all of that. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Now, that, that's not a punishment, that's just a consequence, isn't it? Those, if we live by the flesh, it's just that it's not going to work. It will lead to a process of death within us. It will feel like death, because it's not enough. But if we live according to the, to the spirit, by putting to death the deeds of the body, i.e. the flesh, We'll live, we'll experience life. We will experience that fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I think you could say that the other way round. The children of God are led by the Spirit of God. We're not on our own. We don't have to lead our own lives. We have a source of life within us who's there to lead us. The rivers of life that are springing up that Jesus promised in John. It's the source of life within us that empowers us to live the Christian life. And we didn't receive a spirit that makes us a slavery, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But we've received the spirit of adoption. Where have we received that spirit in our spirits? It's, it's an inside-out thing. I can't look to my emotions to validate it. I have to, I have to allow God to testify with my spirit to its reality. So you see, there's someone for us to depend on. And there's an invitation to, to, to dependency, to dependent living, rather than me trying to make life work by myself. So in the time that remains, briefly, it will be brief, three things about the spirit of adoption that we have received in our spirits. First of all, it brings me home. I was talking some time ago with a friend who had a friend who was, who was adopting. And the way they talked to 
the child that was going to be adopted, they talked to her about, you're going to your forever home. You're going to go to your forever home. The spirit of adoption brings us home, to our forever home. There at the very heart of who we are, we have a home. God has brought me home. I have a safe place. It's the place of identity. I've been adopted into God's family, and so I have identity. I know who I am. And because of that, as the fruit of that, my spirit cries out, Abba, Father, because I know who I am. Abba, Father. That's the cry that the spirit of adoption releases in me, and it's about identity. And it brings freedom from slavery. If our sense of identity is wholly invested in, in the things of my body and my soul, I will be in bondage to those things because I have to have them to make me feel okay. I have to pull it off. I have to have people's approval. And I'm in bondage to that until I know that my, my true identity lies in my spirit. And the spirit of adoption brings us freedom. Freedom from slavery. And it brings freedom from fear. I think, I think there's many types of fear that we experience in our lives. Fear, anxiety. I, over the years now, I've, I've listened to a lot of people's stories at quite a deep level. And I think one of the most common fears that comes up again and again, that lies beneath a lot of other fears, is, is the fear of being alone. Fear of being rejected. If I'm rejected, then I'll be alone. I think often behind the fear of failure, it's actually a fear of rejection. If I fail, I won't be good enough, and I'll be rejected, and then I'll be alone. And you see, the spirit of adoption speaks so deeply into that fear. Because we're not alone. We receive the spirit of adoption at the core of our beings that answers that fear. I'm not alone. I've been adopted. I belong. And so, as I close, <laughs> this is already yours. This is already ours. It's not something it's not something that the Holy Spirit wants to give you, because he already has. He's already given it to you. It's already ours. What the Holy Spirit wants is to witness to your spirit that it's true and that it's yours. And I don't know what it will look like for you in your own circumstances. I don't know what it will look like for you to be freed from from whatever enslaves you, holds you in bondage, from whatever makes you feel afraid. But I do know that the Holy Spirit wants to testify to your spirit that you're his, that the spirit of adoption is already yours, it rests upon you. It's not something that you have to attain to by acting like a child, a good child of God, like a good Christian. It's not something that is one day going to be 
there for you when, when you die. It's, it's yours now. It's not something you have to pray for. It's not something you have to ask God for. It is already yours. And the Spirit of God wants to bear witness with your spirit that it's yours.